The Youthscape Podcast. Well, welcome everybody to this in the next edition of Youthscape Lockdown, or we should call it Youthscape Podcast at Home, shouldn't we? Take a leaf out of the book of Spring Harvest this week that is doing a phenomenal job of bringing Spring Harvest to people's homes. Now, as you heard last week, I am unleashed and unhinged and untwinned with Martin because he currently is living in a tent in his back garden. I don't know if any of you have seen any photos of social media, but when Martin said that his tent fills his family home's garden, he wasn't lying. Like the tent that he and his wife and the kids are in is literally, is literally from one fence to the other. So bless them. I love it that they're attempting to do holiday differently to respect the lockdown, but they are in canvas in a tent. So next week, I think we might have Martin back unhinged and unleashed so we're sending martin all his love and to any of you listening who might currently be attempting to have a little bit of a holiday at home or might be experiencing furlough or all sorts of things but it's you are very very welcome however you're listening wherever you're listening whatever time in the day in your life you are listening thank you for tuning in to the youthscape podcast now i have with me today uh, Dr. Lucy Shuka from Youthscape joining me because I was curious about something you put on Facebook the other day, Lucy. I'll ask you about that in a minute. And also because Youthscape have been conducting some just really interesting, short, sharp, sweet bits of research to find out how you, our wonderful youth ministry tribe, are getting on. But firstly, Lucy, the other night, about half 11 at night, I saw you post something that said, like, I'm just scrabbling through the back of my cupboards looking for crisps. Lucy, that (laughs) sounded like a cry for help. Are you okay? Did you find any? Um, It was a cry for help. Um, It actually, the moment you saw it and when I actually posted it weren't the same. Okay. <laughs> it was actually a little bit earlier in the day. I'd finished. I'd finished the day, and um, these these strange little rituals have emerged in my world. So it's at six p.m. every day. Do you know, you know this? This is going somewhere. You know, producer Rachel. Yeah. Who used to produce these get podcasts. Her husband Dan. Um, at 6 p.m. every day, plays something. Uh, opens like the door and plays a piece of music on his trombone for the whole <laughs> neighborhood and, and distributes it on Facebook Live. And I had just kind of marked the end of the kind of work day with a um, listening to the trombone and then thought, I really need some crisps. And um, I did go scrabbling in every cupboard looking for crisps and I couldn't find any. And I love crisps, Rachel. I, I know I'm, you do. I'm, I know. <laughs> really do love crisps. And I, so I just was, <laughs> I need to tell everybody that I can't find any. I can't find any. And I did. Um, and then about 20 minutes later, there was a knock on the door and a neighbour had walked round the block and had left me three packets of crisps in a little carrier bag on my doorstep. Oh, Lucy, I was really hoping that had happened. I'm so glad. <laughs> and I felt sheepish because with all of the incredible community work uh, and kind of care packages that people are receiving... Um, somebody thought that it was worth getting out of their house and um, using their daily exercise to deliver me three packs of crisps. Um, oh, and I, oh, it just was amazing. 
I tell you yeah. what, though, we, we absolutely are respecting the lockdown, but I think possibly that lovely neighbour is probably a raging extrovert like me that possibly desperately needs an excuse <laughs> to just walk 300 yards out of the block with some kind of essential role they have to do. Actually, I have to say, I have got my own little story of a plea on Facebook. So I, I think I put it on Twitter, actually, about potty training. So I'm potty training our two and a half year old. Well, he's nearly three. I'm potty training him at the moment. And I put some message on. I said, like, week four, lockdown, day one, potty training. And by three that afternoon, somebody had put outside my front door a travel potty. <gasps> they just dropped it off in the back. No message. I've no, I mean, must be somebody who knows me, hopefully. Knows where I live, but yeah. <laughs> I love the randomness of the doorstop deliveries. Like, wouldn't it be brilliant if you could just, um, we could make, some kind of collective video of just all of the random things that have been placed on doorsteps like here's three packets of crisps and a potty that's absolutely brilliant we are noticing in Preston that there are less and less people on the streets and I am noticing that when I go out with my gloves and my badge to go and deliver food parcels people are saying to me can I just check you're a key worker and I'm sort of saying well I'm not I work at the NHS I'm not frontline um, medical staff but I am I'm a volunteer for a, for a food distribution center because things the, the atmosphere is changing isn't there people are very concerned about who's out and about and I guess that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about Lucy actually because I, I'm spotting on our live blog on the youthscape live blog um, there are lots of people not just youth organizations but lots of people that are becoming increasingly aware of young people who are flouting is a word that's being used although I don't like that word flouting the, uh, the, the uh, lockdown l- rules and I've seen on Twitter some people put retweeting photographs or films of groups of young people that have been asked to move on and I find that quite difficult that people are retweeting those images I don't think we should add to that kind of vilification of young people but um have you in your research have you, have you been c- coming across sort of other voices outside of the Christian community talking about this and and what is what response is there from government have you seen much well I mean we've we've covered it in our in our little micro polls that we've been doing every week. So we've been doing this, um, this thing called the Friday three by three. And if you haven't seen it, it's three very short questions that we've been asking every Friday at 3 p.m. It shouldn't take you more than three minutes to answer. And um, this week, we just reported on the questions we asked last, last Thursday, because it, obviously it was Good Friday, so we, we did it a day early. And one of them was, um, you know, as far as you're aware, are young people that you know respecting social distancing? And of course, you know, how how is a youth worker meant to really know exactly whether their young people are or aren't? But you might hear them talk, talking about it. You might get a bit of a sense um, about, about attitudes towards social distancing and whether or not people think it's, um, it's necessary and things like that. And, and actually, most people said yes. So, so 75% um, of those who did the survey said, yes, they are respecting social distancing. Um, so that would be a, a majority. It's not representative, I think, certainly of, of all youth workers, or, or it doesn't really tell us what young people are doing. But that certainly is the perception of youth workers, is that, is that mostly young people are. But um, I had seen a report that the government had done some, po- uh, had done some research, had uh, done some polling, and that they were concerned about young people, that teenagers were most likely to be um, breaking the social distancing rules. Mm-hmm. The challenge is that they haven't really released that, so we can't see it for ourselves. We don't know. We don't know how they did that research or exactly what it means. And so on the one hand, you know, we have voices that are explaining 
understanding why it might be particularly important for, for young people or, or particularly challenging for young people to respect those social distancing guidelines. And that's everything from you know, things that you've been talking about, Rach, and others around um, a home is not always a safe place. Sometimes it's safer to be outside than at home. Um, it can be things that are you know, important for all young people, like they are at a time in their development when connection with their peers is hugely important and where their capacity to judge and assess risk is still very much emerging and and all those things together can create a bit of a cocktail that make it really difficult for them um so we know that that it, it's more challenging for them and they see it they find it more difficult um but we but we can't really see this research from the government you don't really know so i have seen things that have been saying um we also need to advocate for young people i think um for some people for some young people in particular the police are not always a positive presence in their lives we you know we really respect the work that the police do but um we, we don't always know what the interactions are that they're having with the police and we don't we hope that those are positive but uh, you were just telling me before we started this that there are some really vulnerable young people out on the streets with vulnerable adults as well and so um i think it's not that we've seen loads of research out there but i think there's loads of concerns about young people in particular being outside i will say though that i did have a little google earlier because i i just thought we know young people often are um vulnerable to being labeled and kind of typecast so i i did hear on one of these kind of radio call-in programs someone calling in and talking about gangs of youth congregating um just because when when young people are gathered together with their peers they're described as a as a gang and with all the associations that 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 brings um but i haven't seen much in terms of actual research really helpful lucy and, and interesting and I, and I find that as a youth worker i'm sort of torn like you are between both wanting to do everything within my power to make sure that the young people that i come into contact with are, are hearing really positive on-point messages, but also recognizing, as you say, that it's, it's very easy to see a group of people and to make all kinds of assumptions, whether it is a bunch of people sitting at social distancing, but in a park and people assume, well, you're just sunbathing in a park, whereas actually it could be this is the only bit of green space they've got, they haven't got a garden, and maybe they don't want to go for a massive long walk, they just want to sit quietly like I might do in my garden. So I think you're right, young people are often, in, whatever the situation, there are certain groups and populations who are easier to kind of make scapegoats. There was one um, little film on Twitter that I got really, um, I got very cross about actually, and I initially responded to them, thought, back off Rachel, you don't, you know, this is unnecessary to get involved with. But it was a comment that someone had said, this, you know, this amazing person chases off a, a, a bunch of a gang of young people. And, and actually, when you watch the film, this person doesn't chase off a gang of young people. She challenges them and they slowly get up and move. And there is a bit of bad language between them and between the adult. But I don't think the adult was particularly that helpful, actually, either in how their message was coming across. And it's just very interesting, isn't it? I think at the moment, as, as tempers run high, um, how we are choosing to speak of each other and to each other is is really important and I wonder what our role as youth workers is in sort of helping young people understand that and become a little bit more aware of that of what it might feel to others how unsafe it might feel to others if a group of them are congregating not because actually of the classic young people fears about young people congregating but simply because of the uh, in the age of lockdown we seeing a group of people together feels like you don't care you don't care about us but also how adults can talk to them group of young people and how we can maybe not immediately go on the attack but 
but be able to speak quite constructively, you know, you're congating and actually you're putting yourselves and others at risk um, and just seeing how young people respond. So it is, it is a real challenge, isn't it? So these fantastic little bits of research, I think are brilliantly interesting, Lucy. And I know that you've had a little group of people getting involved every week and we want to sort of say to all the rest of us, let, let's all get involved because these weekly pieces of research, I think as we look back, are going to plot a really interesting story of how, how the youth ministry community has evolved and responded and kept well and kept engaged during this lockdown for however long it goes on for. But Lucy, the one that was, um, I see that you've been releasing about today um, is around furlough and how youth workers are feeling about furlough. Is there anything that's come out of that that you found quite interesting? Yeah, I mean... I, I did think it was interesting. The first thing I do, I do need to just say this at the start, that this was quite a small survey. I think Easter weekend was coming. So everybody was switching off, which I'm, you know, I'm really glad that they were, but we only had kind of 35 people complete this one. So these aren't kind of formal pieces of research as such. Um, and they're not representative of what the whole youth ministry tribe is thinking or feeling. But the more of you that do um, join in and tell us what you're experiencing and thinking, actually, the more robust these these pieces, little polls will be. And so I would, I would love people to sort of engage with them every week if they can, and they really don't take very long at all. But yeah, this week we said, okay, furloughing is beginning to happen. Have you been affected by this? And actually most people hadn't been affected. Um, so I think there were only eight uh, people who said, yes, um, either me or somebody in my team um, have been affected. So that was, that was kind of interesting, actually. And I think one of the, one of the things that, that is raised by this is, I guess, the balance in youth work and youth ministry in particular, where it's around churches, uh, the role of volunteers. So the balance between paid and volunteer youth work, because where where people um, hadn't been affected by furlough, quite a few of them said no, because we are primarily volunteers. Um, so they weren't reliant on paid youth work. And it's strange because on the one hand, I think we often feel the fragility of youth work when it's reliant on volunteers who aren't paid and might be able to give of a certain period of time and then they have to step back and and, and the kind of the people the group the, the team that you've got might change week to week yeah. but in a moment like this um, where suddenly overnight you could have half of your team just stop working in one case somebody said um the, the their youth work provision was split into two so the community and schools work team have all been furloughed because we can't go out and do detached work and we can't work in schools right now but the church-based work has just moved online because we can do that uh, and so everybody stayed stayed there um, and so so in some places it's um, you know you can lose a third or half of a team and in other places it hasn't affected anything because it was always volunteers and it's continuing to be volunteers mm. Mm. So that's a bit of a kind of shout out to all the volunteers who in some places are you know keeping everything going um, but the other I suppose, aspect of it which I think is interesting a couple of people said we have been um, placed onto furlough but there are still expectations that we would work that's kind of interesting so one person said I, I kind of feel that this is unethical um, which it is because if you're if you're on furlough you're not meant to be uh, working for your organization but in a church context a couple of people had said um, it feels like the boundaries are less clear um, so I'm kind of being expected still to do things to volunteer um, 
even though I'm meant to be on furlough and and that is creating some resentment so it's interesting that potentially that might feel different to um, a different kind of workplace where maybe your work life and your home life and your worshipping life is is more boundaried so that would be something to explore in the future now that's that's really interesting isn't it because Martin and I were joking last week on the podcast how actually even the word furlough, you know, is, is an old missionary term and most of us have never heard the word before. And, and so we're all kind of trying to navigate our way through this concept, which is so unusual, isn't it? But yet plays into still some of the age old difficulties that youth workers experience around um, being overworked, <laughs> expectations that are unrealistic. Often I hear people saying that's not a job description, that's a wish list, you know. Um, but also, I wonder how it's been communicated to people that they're on furlough and the expectations. Like, so did you pick up from, I know it's a very small sample, but did you pick up that there was unclear communication and, and understanding really what the legal framework for furlough is? Or did it feel a bit more like, well, actually, it's the kind of the culture of youth ministry often is quite woolly at the edges and there's so much more expected of youth workers it isn't on their you know their time sheet I, I guess there's a combination of both playing in playing in, in lack of knowledge about what furlough really means and a, a revelation around the kind of the, the work structure that youth workers are, are normally working under yeah I think I think you're right it's probably both so um, let me just read out what one person said um, so they said I haven't been furloughed, but others on my staff team have. They were helping me run youth online. So now I have a lot more on my plate. And it's so hard in the church. Vague boundaries on work slash volunteering. The staff have been asked to volunteer for different things. But I think that's unethical. and It makes the atmosphere, which is already stilted over Zoom, more tense. And so there's a real... I mean, there's real diversity in what people are kind of feeding back to us. For some people, this time is very energizing. There's lots of new opportunities. There is real kind of depth in their youth work that they didn't find before. For other people, there's a sense of complete digital burnout already. And it's extraordinarily difficult to come to terms with new technology if they haven't used it before. Um, and then, I mean, that, that kind of quote gives you just a little bit of an insight, doesn't it, into... Mm. whatever was whatever was happening in our teams whatever cultures are we have in our in our organizations or in our churches this will probably heighten those dynamics whatever they were Mm. um so and because we can't be face to face as well we're we're doing so much um online which we know kind of flattens this communication and makes it harder to engage um it, it, it is interesting i think you know that that's just one example but I think that probably does speak to cultures of church where um, people uh, people give because they feel a sense of calling and vocation, but also often that there aren't really clear boundaries around rest and exactly what that means in terms of self-care. And then you throw in this new thing, this completely new thing, furlough, which we haven't ever done before. And I, I think what it means is if you are line managing somebody, if you're a minister, if you're leading a church, you, you need to communicate really quite clearly around what expectations um, you have of people around work and and volunteering, so that so that um, people know where they stand. Absolutely, that's that's absolutely right. And I was thinking that that person who you know, very kindly shared you know, what, what it means for them. Um, I'm just thinking actually, this could be a great opportunity for other people in the church to volunteer in the youth ministry program, so that there isn't this blur of oh well, that's my paid youth work and that's now to get as a volunteer under furlough, which which wouldn't be right to do. Um, but then the danger, the, the tricky thing of that is that suddenly you've got a new team that you've got to kind of suddenly get up to up to pace. 
space. And I guess there might be lots of people listening who, um, for them, for, they are the youth worker. They haven't got much of a volunteer team and they've been furloughed. And that means that there isn't actually much youth ministry happening. Did, did you feel that there was more people working for Christian youth organisations experiencing the furlough? Were there any voices of, of a youth worker paid in a church setting that was experiencing this, Lucy? Yeah, there definitely were those who were in a church context. It wasn't all Christian organisations, um, although I, I think possibly they were in in places where there were, um, there was still a team. But in in one context, uh, one person said, "What's happened is we've merged our youth and children's teams uh, because." Um, one person in our furloughed. So essentially we've kind of collapsed these two teams together and we've got one person leading it now. And so overnight you can have your whole structure um, change. And, and you, you, you mentioned before, we can be quite agile um, as a community uh, when it comes to changing structures and things like that and, and responding to opportunities. And, and I think this is requiring quite a lot of agility from people, you know, week by week quizzing. Uh, people responding to what's happening um, as if every week is almost like a new year <laughs> in our calendar. Yes, like, yes. Odd thing where it sort of compresses and then stretches out. And, and so the questions we asked at the beginning of this survey, I look back and I think, oh, and you know, three weeks ago, that feels like a lifetime ago, the kinds of things that were important to ask then compared to now. Um, but yeah, sorry, going back to your question, we're not asking people in this in in these in these questions where they're coming from, what organisations they're working for, and so that's a real limit in terms of what we can really understand from it. But certainly, there are there are people in in here who are working for churches. So churches are furloughing people for sure. Mm. You talked about agility and we're having to be suddenly a very flexible and responsive workforce like everybody else on the planet right now. And I guess youth ministry often is quite well versed in that and easily easy to adapt. Although as individuals, we do find adjusting hard. That's a natural thing. Um, one of your bits of research was around just coping with the online world and just having to move everything into a digital space. And you did some research asking, um, you know, sort of plotting in a way young people's um, interest in accessing church or youth ministry in this new space online and and the youth work of the youth volunteers kind of um, not just capacity but interest in doing it all online was there some interesting things that that came out of that Lucy and what you were asking uh, I'm wondering if you're thinking about so there's a couple of questions we asked that were about online um, and they're slightly different so the first one we asked was how this was week one. How have you been connecting with young people in this first week of lockdown? So that was just trying to get a sense of what platforms are people using. Um, and that was, that was really kind of the triumph of Zoom. Zoom and Instagram and WhatsApp um, are how people were connecting primarily. Probably not a huge surprise there. Although um, when I look back on that, I think 75 people answered that. Only four had seen any young people face to face and um, although that makes sense in light of social distancing I also know that in some contexts where youth workers are also doing um, offline care packages and that kind of monitoring they, they may not be um, spending any time with young people but they might be in the ways that I know uh, you and you guys are in kind of Western Minster just seeing young people's faces mm. <laughs> and so mm. interesting only four of those 75 had to had any kind of um, seeing young people at all 
Uh, so that was one thing we asked, which was kind of just about platform. But then the, the other thing we asked was, do you sense that young people are experiencing any kind of digital burnout yes, yet? Um, and that was at the end of week two. And I think we asked that because um, I was hearing and a few people were hearing in different conversations in the youth ministry world that adults very much were already after like a week and a half beginning to experience this this phenomenon of kind of just finding it completely overwhelming to have all your communication in, on video uh, but what was interesting there was mostly youth workers were saying no um I, I'm not seeing any signs that yet my young people are experiencing digital burnout a number said I am, <laughs> but they're not. Uh, but what I tended to say was they're not yet. So um, there were a, there were a few who said, yes, I I have where young people are doing school and it's quite intense. They're doing lots of work online, lots of lots of um, online classes. Then they're more likely to get to the evening and want to be, and want to switch off. Uh, that was, and somebody said they thought that that might be true of different age groups so I guess it depends what particular um, form of education young people are still engaging in but I think that's probably worth us thinking about I'm sure youth workers are already thinking this but actually just asking young people in your context how much time are you already spending on kind of video conferencing in a day to, to get a sense of when what the, what the burden is essentially and kind of how we're adding to it or when we can schedule things so that they will be at their most, their, their capacity to engage will be greatest, would be quite important. So a few people said, um, yes, I do see signs of this. For some people, they, said they, they interpreted that as, well, young people are engaging slightly less well this week than they were last week and interpreting that as a sign of sort of digital um, uh, exhaustion it that might be the case or it might be that what what we're doing is not quite as engaging or that's going to take a bit more time to to work out those, those things might not be the same but I think what was clear is um there's potentially just different experiences between teenagers and, and adults when it comes to what lockdown is like um, and so we have to be careful not to kind of narrativize and project onto young people what our own experiences are um, but to actually just ask them and find out directly from them what they're what they want and what they're experiencing and what kinds of communication are bringing them life I guess in a way that that takes us back to an even older bit of uh, research at the beginning of the lockdown where you asked youth workers how they were going to put plan to look after their mental health is that right and and what came out the highest was connection with other people and I and I guess that probably does mean connection online but it but it really felt like here's a community we're not all extroverts hashtag not all youth workers are the same but that that doesn't surprise me that actually we're really struggling with these new platforms because although we're deeply relational as you were saying the flatness of digital communications is really grating with us because actually we are all we've all been called into a ministry that's profoundly people-centered and so that kind of that doesn't surprise me. Was was that the research you were? Doing? I'm trying to think whether I got the right yeah. research now. No, that's that's right. That's on the, on the second week we asked, "What do you do? What's been important for looking after your mental health this week?" Um, and it's spiritual health really as well. But but yeah, staying connected to people was at the top. Then going outside, and then prayer, worship, or meditation, eating and drinking well, and then and then rest. Which in light of that. That this, this odd feeling of being 
slowed down on the one hand and yet on the other hand being have this heightened alertness to need and, and an awareness that we that we need to adapt and young people might need us it's really interesting to think about what what rest means in this time I'm, I'm quite curious about how people are interpreting that but I think yes the staying connected to people being key one of the things I think is interesting and I'd like to continue to ask as these as these kind of surveys roll on is how people are um, diversifying those forms of communication because certainly some people have responded when we've asked what do you want us to know what have you noticed about being a youth worker and what it's like during coronavirus what's it been like in the last week uh, some people have certainly said um, I am I'm struggling with all the online communication and um, but I'm finding much greater depth in um, care packages in uh, taping notes to people's front doors <laughs> to somebody sent somebody wrote 107 handwritten easter cards that they posted oh. to young people which is pretty extraordinary um phone calls so that i read something recently on the mind and soul foundation blog which was really excellent if you want to go and find that and it was will vanderhaar explaining why um if you want to have a more intimate conversation, um, don't do a video call, have a, have a telephone conversation, um, because actually being able to physically see each other but not actually being embodied is confusing for our brains. And, and so um, I, I suspect what we're probably going to see is, um, is rather than a kind of Zoom, you know, a weekly Zoom meeting with everybody is going to be the only thing that online, you know, youth ministry is in this time. It will just be a whole mixture of different things because the quality of conversation and connection and communication with those different things will be um, will be beneficial. Um, obviously, we're still hugely limited um, in terms of what we can do, but people are being really creative. That's fascinating, isn't it? That uh, seeing each other through video call is confusing for the brain. I mean, I have a little giggle because uh, the Zoom conversations that I have with young people and and with older people, definitely, if you're over the age of 18, you're more likely to have the phone quite low down. And then so the shot is quite a strange shot up the face. And I often think, this is not how you look to me. Like, you're looking all jowls. Whereas somehow, teenagers sort of instinctively get it that you lift the phone a bit higher. And actually, you, you can see each other on the eye level, which is how it normally works, isn't it? That's very, oh, I'm going to go and read that blog. That's very interesting. I mean, I was thinking Lucy actually that I've I felt I've experienced a bit of an interesting phenomena on on Monday night so the the first night of spring harvest at home so the spring harvest festival which normally is in three different locations Minehead, Skegness and Harrogate um obviously was cancelled um because of, of the lockdown the coronavirus um, and but they very quickly have put together as, as much content as possible with with shaky cameras and you know just homespun stuff um of people speaking and leading worship and 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 just doing it all from their home so it's really low-tech in the night possible way but the website's brilliant and it's all out there for you to see but last night there were 44,000 people um watching Jill Duff brilliant Bishop Jill Duff preach um and she and again she was holding the camera fairly low down we were in her little office with her she said look I I've not strode onto a platform after some worship that's buoyed us all up you know I'm in my little office in the daytime and I've got my little camera this is the fourth take like she was she really disarmed us it was so brilliant mm -hmm. but it's one of the most powerful sermons I've ever heard in my life and there were 44,000 of us 
wow. all around the country and beyond. And we were all live speak. We were all chatting as well. And it was the most extraordinary experience. And I thought, oh my goodness, 44,000 like this, this is going to go wrong. But it, it was incredible. And I, and I think we're probably yet to see, um, you know, quite where this takes us and how this will change. Because I guess a number of us have been doing a little bit of online church with our own community. But last like, on Monday night was like the first time that many of us have had that enormous experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the joy, the joy that was coming across from people was, you know, was really tantalizing. So I think it is interesting to see where these spaces will go and, and how young people will connect in with those spaces too. Um, you know, are we, are we going to see more all age stuff? Because actually all of us connecting together like this, there's less issue about your age. <laughs> you can't actually see each other. So it's, it's very interesting, isn't it? See where this all heads. So Lucy, the big question is, what is the big question for this week? Do you know what you're going to no. ask us? No, <laughs> no, no idea. <laughs> I tell you what, though, one thing I have realised is that um, it's very neat to say, oh, it's a Friday, it's the Friday, three o'clock, seven, but actually it's too late. People are already winding down. I mean, I mean, you may or may not be, I don't know when your work week really runs, but if you are sort of keeping office hours or, or whatever, even if you're working on a Friday night, you may not be checking your email or looking at the Youthscape blog. So I think what we're going to do is actually move this whole thing forward a day. Oh, so we'll brilliant. be reflecting Thursday to Thursday. But um, there's time, I don't know when exactly this is going to go out this podcast, but there's probably time for you to get in there with a question. So if there are things that you are really curious about, you want to know in terms of what other people are doing, what other people are feeling in the youth ministry, youth church, you know, Christian youth work world, um, email me at research at youthscape.co.uk with your questions and um, I, I try each week to ask something about you something about youth ministry and something about young people and I try and only make one of those questions a kind of open-ended question because otherwise it would take me too long to analyze it uh, but if I can make your question fit, then I'd love to know what, what you want to um, what you want to ask. Mm, I love that. And um, be- before we go, Lucy, I um, I always find when I sit down and chat with you, I am just most interested in what is currently in that brilliant brain of yours. So I just wanted to sort of end this interview with you, just to, to you know, no warning, just to say, with all this research you're doing, and, and you yourself with your own family, are sort of experiencing the disjointedness of this and you've got your trombone playing lovely down in the community and you're making this work on a you know everyday level but also involved with youthscape on a national level what are you thinking right now like where are your thoughts taking you at the moment what what's in your brain either positive negative whatever what's what are you thinking about oh lots of things but um two things off the top of my head the first is that one of the reasons I wanted to ask these questions is to create a little bit of conversation and back and forth and to create space for the multiple kinds of experiences we're having. Because um, very early on in this whole thing, I listened to the very brilliant Sam Wells, who is the vicar at St. Martin in the Fields. And, and he, did a, he did a sermon, I think, the first one of the first days of the lockdown. And um, the first thing he said was, um, we're not experiencing the same things. And I found that confusing at the time. And within a few days, I understood what he meant because we have this really odd dynamic where 
we are all experiencing the same thing and we are none of us experiencing the same thing. <laughs> and one of the one of the things I'm aware of in myself, and I suppose in others as well, is the ways we tell stories and we, the ways we narrativize and make meaning out of the time that we're in. And we often do that on the basis of what we see and what we experience, um, but we, we, we have to find ways to give voice to the multiple kinds of experiences people are having at this time, and particularly those who we don't otherwise hear from. And so um, I want to, people to engage in this research because I want us to hear the breadth of what's happening. And one of the questions I'm asking at the moment is how do we make space for young people to tell us what they are experiencing and what they are thinking and what they want? Um, because I've heard lots of talk about them, but because I'm not um, a youth worker directly, I don't get that time with young people. And I, I want to hear their voice in the public sphere, not just in the private space. Um, and so if anyone has ideas or uh, have seen good examples of how young people's voices are being heard and how they might shape what the world looks like afterwards, I don't, I know that sounds really um, optimistic to think that young people can shape the future, but I, but I think they can if we make space for them, but I don't quite know how we should. So that's one thing. Um, the other thing I'm thinking is that I really, I have huge amounts of faith in our capacity to go back to the way things were and um, for life to not be radically different after coronavirus. And um, I, what's been coming to mind recently is, a, is an article I read there's a guy called Oliver Berkman, who's a psychologist who writes in The Guardian. He writes a great column called This Column Will Change Your Life. And I cut out one that he wrote a few years ago, and I go back to it every now and then because he basically said, um, when we have dramatic experiences, we tend to think that life will never be the same afterwards. And we're pretty sure that the fact that we had this dramatic experience will be enough to, um, to force life to be different. We will just internalize the disruption and things will change. Uh, but what he basically said is that, that that's not the case. Mostly we just go back to the way things were. If you want things to be different, you have to be really intentional. You need to write them down and you need to make a plan. And so one of the questions I'm asking myself is, what do I think should be different in the future? And, um, and, and who's making a plan and how can I join in? <laughs> Lucy, brilliant, brilliant. I think the question for one of your Thursdays is, is do we think things will be different and are we making a plan to do this? I, I've not heard anyone say what you've just said. Um, and yet I think you're right, it's holding intention that somehow some things may be different, but they might be more structural things like you know, the visors stay up in the shops because actually we're going to be a bit worried about contagion for a long time. But, but the essential things of life won't change. We'll just get used to certain things looking a bit differently. Or, but I, that's fascinating that unless we make a plan, actually the change that we want to internalise to happen won't happen. That, and, and how we hold that intention with grief, because obviously there'll be many people coming out of this with the big changes of loved ones lost, um, you know, work significantly different, you know, a different track of work because their old job they lost or, or whatever. So there are going to be some 
you know, there'll be people who will be carrying, you know, significant change and others for whom I think I got coronavirus. I don't know that I did, but I probably did. I'm not really sure. And, and how we all hold that together is going to be, how we tell that story together is going to be interesting, isn't it? People that are carrying the war wounds and, and what kind of new community will be. Lucy, as per usual, brilliant. And I, I want us to maybe check in with you maybe in about a month's time and, and find out some where your head is at now and what you're seeing with this research would that be okay if we called you back on in a yeah, time? Would love to. so that's it for today's episode of youthscape at home and uh, we will be back sometime next week with the wonderful martin saunders who no doubt will have some tremendous tales of his time under canvas so friends until then stay safe take care of yourself and get involved with the thursday three by three see you soon